Look alive, sunshine. The question is not when you're gonna stop, but who is gonna stop you. The electric centaur, the democrat, the revolution will not be televised. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave. And I know we, uh, this month, last few weeks or so, have been kind of spotty. I mean, I think if we look around the world, there's been quite a bit going on. We had, um, we have a new president-elect that was finally uh, decided upon after about a week of turmoil. Um, some might say it's still going on. Uh, I've started working on a new series, so my days are certainly getting filled with that. Um... Halloween has come and gone where Chris, all the, the bats and the pumpkins and deco- decorations have all been replaced with uh, Christmas trees and reefs and uh, nonstop Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. So it's, it's turning, the weather turned. Um, just trying to think. I mean, it just feels like a week of just craziness. Uh, a few, I mean, the whole year, if we're being honest, 2020. But this last month has felt like a roller coaster. So apologize about the delays and i've had a few people reach out and they've asked me like what's going on with the witch tournament and again uh thank you guys for voting even though my ability to be able to record has been a little spotty of late um but i do have the results uh so the week last week that we missed we would have been announcing uh, black sunday versus the incantation Black Sunday is obviously a very classic witch movie. Um, the Incantation is far more contemporary. It's indie. It was made by our friend Jude Walko, friend of the show. And, um, you know, it was actually, I, I think even Jude would admit himself, he was always sort of the dark horse. And he's going up against a pretty heavy hitter. And um, unfortunately, he came up a little short. David could not slay Goliath in this round of the tournament. So Black Sunday... Uh, proceeded, moved on, advanced by 34 to 24 votes, relatively low voting affair, um, which then put, we ran two contests in our semifinals. We ran the craft versus Black Sunday to determine our right side of the bracket. And on the left side of the bracket, we had Rosemary's Baby versus The Witch. So the results are in. Thank you guys for going over to uh, the Slasher uh, app's instagram page and into our stories and voting and participating and letting your voice be heard it's really appreciated uh in the left side of the bracket the rosemary's baby versus the witch was actually a bit closer than i expected i i kind of anticipated the the witch sort of running away with this and the witch is the winner as one might expect but uh it was a relatively close count 52 to 44 now, Rosemary's Baby, not, I mean, look, in, in fairness, Rosemary's Baby is obviously an all-time classic. But as some people may have argued, is it a witch movie? You know, are devil worshippers inherently witches? I say it does. But it, it was certainly a controversial choice to be included in the first place. Um, and the fact that it made it this far, I said semifinals earlier, I think it's quarterfinals. Clearly, I'm a big bracket guy. But, um, but... The Witch advances on the left side of the bracket, and it, it's going up against uh, The Craft, which in this side of the bracket was uh, a smash, a squash if you'd ever seen one, um, 67 to 21. I actually, again, I think when I put this bracket together, I had an expectation that it may come down to The Witch and The Craft. Very, very different movies. Um, two movies that uh, are classics, one in sort of a modern classic, one uh, classic from most 
people who are listening's childhood or maybe their older brother's childhood. Um, you know, but you know, coming of that nine that nineties era of horror movie where the cast was kind of slicker, the production was slicker, you know. Um, so the craft advances. So next week, this coming week, the rest of this week, vote same places. You go to the Slash Raps Instagram. You go to our stories. I'm gonna let this run a little bit longer. Normally, I cut off the voting after Friday, even though the episode doesn't come out till Monday. But because I've been so behind, I'm gonna go ahead and and keep it going through Sunday, and I'll record Sunday night. So we'll find out the winner. Remember to vote. Go to the Slash Rap on Instagram. Or go to the uh, Grindhouse Podcast, our Instagram, in our stories every day through Sunday to vote to see who the winner of this much maligned long witch tournament is. The Craft or The Witch. Which witch movie reigns supreme? So thank you guys again for voting. Really appreciate all that. It's been really fun to do, even with some of the inconsistency. Um, and and more on that. I want, I want to talk a little bit about that. So aside from everything that's been happening to everyone this year between COVID and, um, you know, sort of for many people's careers, very stop start with the shutdowns and the reopenings. And there's been, you know, a lot of turmoil with, with, you know, Black Lives Matters constantly needing to be a force to combat, um, what, what basically amounts to slaughtering of whole communities by those who are or who are really supposed to be protecting and serving us and um, and all the controversy with the presidency. There's many people, myself included, that feel like while defeating Trump was a ultimately a good thing, um, I, I don't feel excited about Biden either. So, um, you know, while there are people I, I was driving around Los Angeles and I saw people literally dancing in the streets, shooting off fireworks, streamers. Um, not everyone shares that. So, you know, uh, I think certainly at the end of the day, it's, it's a step in a direction, one that needed to occur, whether it's vastly different or the same direction, I guess is to be determined, but, um, tons going up being married, you know, having, you know, having a, another a person in your household, a partner and someone whose time you divide yourself. There's a lot and, and then work, you know, and the dog and, you know, my dog's getting arthritis. And so we, we have to take it to daily shots. My point of it all is that life happens fast and a lot of things are going on. And I feel like I've always said to myself, I'll do this podcast as long as it's still being fun. And it is still fun. It never ceases to be fun. However, that being said, I do feel like I'm getting pretty close to being able to and having said everything that I really have to say. What I never wanted this podcast to be is something that turns into a, a review of the week kind of. I mean, there's a million podcasts that do that. The The design of this podcast was always to be talking about the craft from the perspective of people who work within that craft. But even within that, there are some really super talented um, podcasters and video casters, um, YouTube content creators that do excellent jobs really analyzing and breaking down films from a story standpoint and from an artistic standpoint. Filmento is one of my favorite. I watch that constantly on YouTube. He's excellent. Um, the, the old YouTube channel, Every Frame of Painting, there are just some channels that I feel do a really amazing job of breaking down the creative choices within film. And um, and I think I've talked a lot about film from the perspective of a filmmaker. Hopefully over the last few episodes, we've been able to shine a light on, you know, even something as controversial as like the Game of Thrones ending, right? 
being able to show it from the perspective of a filmmaker and who's been around a writer's room and who understands how difficult sets are being. Maybe I, I give I give a little bit more uh, leeway than the average person would, but I've helped that that was something that was useful and helpful and entertaining for you all. But I really do feel like, just like any great series, it's best to go out on a high note when you feel like you're starting to run out of inspiration. And I think that we're, we're getting to that point. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that there's not a possibility of the, in the future getting, you know, doing a, a special here or there, but I do feel like it's, it's time to start winding this podcast down. So, um, I think episode 100 will be our last one. Uh, if this ever gets revived down the line, uh, that's sort of to be determined, but I think this current run, a hundred episodes, that's a pretty damn good run. And I think we've said a lot in it, and I hope to spend these remaining episodes entertaining you guys and trying to spend a little less time looking at movies and a little bit more time really talking about my experience in film and try to share and impart some wisdom on you guys so that um, you you maybe come to understand and appreciate the craft in a, in a slightly different way. So uh, we've got a few more episodes to go, folks. I hope you stick around with me. We're going to talk about some really cool things and, and get into some. And I, and I invite you guys to leave your questions, your comments, you know, those kind of things. Leave those for me because I want to spend this time being able to share with you guys directly as much as possible. I think we've we've uh, watched enough movies and reviewed them enough. I really want to like sort of uh, break open this to more of a conversation. And there's and I'm not done podcasting. We Obviously, Miss Ophelia and I are going to – we're kind of reconfiguring and figuring out what Coffins and Coffee is going to be. And I have a new project that I'm looking to start, a monthly roundtable. And I'll, I'll talk about more about that as that podcast becomes solidified and I have more details about when we will air the first episode. But plan on that. Plan on us doing um, – once this podcast winds down – There'll be something new that I'm launching. Plus, we're going to do a relaunch of Coffins and Coffee at some point. Might even be on video. We'll, we're figuring all that out. But not done in the world of podcasting. It's just something that I really, really genuinely love. But I feel like it's a, it's my old, my, my most favorite philosopher, Mr. Rogers, uh, Kenny, as his friends called him. You have to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him, when to walk away, and when to run. And this podcast has gone through lots of changes from being a, a two-man group to sort of a solo project with retaining cast. We went basically went from the Misfits to Danzig over the course of near 100 episodes. And just like with Danzig, I want to end this on episode, on Danzig 4 and not go into 5, 6, and, and beyond. So thank you guys for following along on the ride and listening to a little house cleaning. But like I said, we've got a few episodes to go. We're not quite done yet. So I want to talk about something that's trending right now. And it's certainly going to be controversial, which if you've listened to this podcast, you would know I'm not shy of being controversial and expressing my opinion, maybe even to a detriment. And um, and I want to talk a little bit about Johnny Depp. And for those of you who don't know or you're maybe you're not super active on Twitter and certainly if you read all the gossip rags. You know, you know that Johnny Depp was accused by his ex-wife Amber Heard of being a, a wife beater, and so much so that the UK tabloid trash, The Sun, ran an article calling him a wife beater, which then led to him suing them, and and subsequently and very unfortunately, 
losing that decision in what I can only call a travesty of the justice system. I, 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 I'm literally at a loss of words when you look and you pour over the videos and the audio tapes and the court filings. Uh, and certainly I know that this is not presented to everyone and, and only the, you know, the most hardcore of fans perhaps would bother. But when you do look at that, it seems I'm, I'm flabbergasted that anyone would not see that clearly she was the one. Who, it, it's not even a disputable fact that she abused him. This, this is on record on tape. The only real question that come, it comes down to is whether or not you believe that Johnny Depp is lying or Amber Heard is lying about his level of abuse. And again, nothing that I have seen has pointed me in the direction of believing that that he did it. And I feel like, um, it, like I said, it was a tragedy that the judge voted against him. And, and to compound that and why I bring this up more importantly is that Warner Brothers apparently asked Johnny Depp to uh, resign from Fantastic Beasts, the Harry Potter prequel series, which uh, admittedly was not, had no pun intended, not captured the magic of the original Harry Potter series. But nevertheless, Depp was a big part of it. And, you know, being asked to resign from a, from a high-profile project like that, while he may have been on a pay-or-play contract that guarantees his salary regardless of whether or not he shot or not, I mean, financially, fine, but it's an embarrassment, and it's embarrassment on top of being a man who is a victim of domestic violence. It's embarrassing on top of being publicly labeled and shamed as an abusive person, and I understand that, statistically speaking, the vast, vast majority of domestic violence cases are men or is violence from men attacking women. And, um, but I, I think that it's important to, to look after and cry for justice, all victims of domestic violence, not just the majority. That's just not how justice works in, in this world. If you believe in justice, you have to believe that it applies to everybody equally you can't pick and choose who's equal. There's a one of my favorite books growing up was Animal Farm, and at the end, the 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 controlling pigs in power, uh, they change their own, you know, commandments, their own edicts that they put upon the animal community as they had grown to power, and instead of it saying, you know, um, four legs, or all, all four legs are equal, uh, it says, you know four legs are equal, but some are better. And, and, um, that's what happens when you start picking and choosing who justice applies to. Now, a lot of people are going to see this. They're going to see his case and maybe they're going to hear and learn about his addiction issues. And everyone's going to turn a nose up at that, not that, uh, you know, ignoring and being hypocritical to the fact that how many people who are turning their nose up to a drug addict or a, an alcoholic or someone struggling with addiction issues, um, they don't go out on weekends and, and binge drink or do drugs or whatever, right? Everyone ignores that and they, they sort of look down at people who actually struggle with it. And they'll look at someone like Johnny Depp and they'll say, well, he's just a witch right guy, you know, powerful, witch, rich, white guy in Hollywood, who cares? Why is that important? Uh, I'll put my attention elsewhere. And, and that's, listen, I understand that. 
I do. I'm not. I don't think it's a matter of sympathy. I think in the end, it's a travesty. But but you know, just because someone has financial gain doesn't mean that they're absolved of needing the same protections as everyone else. Because the reality of it is, is if if the rich and the powerful can't be protected, what what chance is there for anyone else? And not just men who are victims of domestic violence, but women as well. How many women who who are on the unfortunate end of a violent act? are not going to be believed because someone like Amber Heard has taken the Me Too movement and turns it into a faust. And not just her, but all the sycophants that are like jumping blindly to her side and covering up and the mocking. It's, it's, the whole of it is is really terrible. And I, I think it's really symptomatic of 2020 as a whole. I, I think that one thing that COVID has really illuminated to me personally is that it's it's brought out the worst in people far more than it's brought out the best. And I think we see a lot of vindictiveness and viciousness and a need to attack people and cast judgment on people with no clear path forward for redemption or for healing or for growth. And so I just want to publicly say I believe in justice for Johnny Depp. I think that he is a man who was um, who was the sufferer, was the victim of domestic violence from his wife, a, a, a an arrested serial domestic abuser i think that it's um it really it's something that should be concerning this is not what this is not what this was meant to be the movement the me too movement the times up movement these things were designed to protect the victims not to empower charlatans to use them to leverage them for their own you know notoriety and and attempt at fame so I hope that at some point there's another lawsuit coming up um, that the, the information keeps getting out there. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people who have signed petitions for him to, you know, get rehired on Fantastic Beasts. Personally, I don't even care about that series. And if he's not in that series, that has no effect on me whatsoever. But um, the more that information gets out, the more truth gets out, the more it's going to be harder to sway public opinion. But keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for these publications and who's writing who. And look to see just how easy it is to be manipulated or how how callously and confidently they attempt to fool us every day. Which brings me to uh, a, a movie, a documentary that I watched recently on Netflix, which was called The Social Dilemma. And like every great documentary, the, um, you know, the What the Healths and, and you know, Fahrenheit uh, 9-11, you know, they, it's, it's, it's got a certain entertainment aspect to it it's certainly not like the documentaries of yesteryear but i thought i did a really good job of highlighting how information can be used to shape our opinions and 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 we've talked about in the past i certainly know that we've talked about the past the role that art plays in changing the world right the the famous question is art a mirror to which to hold up to the world or is it the hammer in which to smash it and to shape it and i i've always long held that it's both right it can be both it is often both it is it is the responsibility of art to be both but it's not just art right it's not just a, a diego rivera painting or frida carlo or banksy it's 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 commerce as well that that's it's like um for those who are practitioners of magic for example the magic works regardless of the intention right which is why you want to try to keep it out of the hands of those who would use it improperly 
And the same thing goes, you know, just because something is commerce, is a commodity, is a product, doesn't mean it doesn't have the same effect that art can, which is why it's so important, in my opinion, that art should be a force for good. Because whether if the art's not, it doesn't stop the commerce from coming. So, you know, your social media ads, um, all these all these platforms are collecting information from us and they're using this infinite amount of of information and and patterns and habits and they're using that to not just sell us i don't know khakis but to actually help shape your mind you know sometimes I, I, just as an exercise for those of you who are listening and and we have listeners from all around the world so um i don't know what the level of social media addiction is where you may be or or your own personal level of social media addiction i know that for me who occasionally suffers from adhd um mindless endless spinning of instagram or twitter or facebook is uh has become some something of a nervous habit or a boredom habit you know i used to you remember if you remember fidget spinners i feel like social medias have basically served the same function as fidget spinners they're about as you get about as much useful information out of them frankly it's less about what you get out of them and more about what they're getting out from you so as an exercise think to yourself um we'll keep this in the realm of movies i'll, I'll pull it out of politics for a little bit but you go on twitter or you go on instagram uh, we'll use Twitter, for example, and a, and a trailer drops, right? Let's say it's a trailer that you're really excited for, like a Dune. And dependent on your engagement, whether you're for the new Dune or you're against the new Dune or whatever it may be, the algorithm is tracking that and they're going to show you things that catch your eye. So, for example, if you love the Dune trailer but you see two or three bonehead negative reviews and it pisses you off and you're really excited and agitated and you're you're going to every tweet that looks like that well it's going to start feeding you that constantly and then all you're going to see is negative dune ads and maybe over time it colors and shapes your own perception of a movie that you might have previously been very excited for on the flip side, and we've seen this very practically, it can also um, can actually uh, how do you say it um, make people like it takes fandom to a really toxic level. Now it's almost like people start crusading for things, and the the best example I can think of is like the Snyder Cut. You know, mo- people on online probably liked it. You know, the, the people art is subjective, and I don't like you know, Batman versus Superman, or I didn't even bother to watch Justice League. And I'm generally kind of tired of, of comic book movies, but there were people who watched it and there were people who enjoyed it. And I'm sure those people saw the overwhelming negative reviews of something that they liked and they took it as a personal affront. So what happens over time is fans of this become radical and start forming these groups and you see these petitions like the the Snyder release the Snyder cut and all that stuff to the point where Warner Brothers ironically who just asked Mr. Depp to to uh, resign from a role simply for being the victim of domestic violence apparently either buckled to to fandom pressure or they um exploited 
fandom uh, crusading and and um, and decided to put together a, a Snyder version. There was never a Snyder cut, of course, but they gave him more money for reshoots and what have you, and um, you know, and now it's going to be used as a mechanism to boost the sales of a fledgling HBO Max, and so you can see where uh, uh, there's been plenty of movies that people like. And they, for whatever reason, they don't catch on in that viral way where people are demanding this thing occur. Um, but it can be both good and bad, right? Because for every release, the Snyder Cut nonsense that you get, you also get like Justice for Johnny Depp, where people are using their collective voices for good. But either which way it goes, and regardless of what your personal opinion is on any of these topics, you have to be mindful of the fact that media and content and social media has the ability to influence the way we think about the world and puts us in a in a in a, a silo basically where we only hear echoings of the same voices it's why so many people when you look around you can't possibly imagine how someone would come up to any differing opinion than yours and the reason why you can't imagine that is because if you're getting all of your media and your news from social media, you're only being fed a certain message. If you go to a Google link, for example, and you type in, um, I don't know, a climate change, depending on if you're in Alabama, North Dakota, California, um, New York, or Texas, you're going to get a, a variety of different Google searches, which is going to lead you into a, a, a train of thinking, or at least it's only, it's going to siphon only a certain kind of information to you. So when you start thinking about why there's collective thought within a region, well, if they're, if you're drinking from the same water, you're going to get poisoned the same, right? So, uh, it's a really cool documentary. I recommend you go see it if you haven't watched already. Um, and maybe try to implement There's no, I don't think Personally, I don't feel like the internet or social media is inherently bad, but just like I don't think I, th- I don't think drinking is bad, but it's it's you have to be responsible and mindful in your usage of it before you can decide how to use it so that it doesn't affect your life. It's no different than drinking or any other adult decision that you make. You have to go into it with eyes wide open and make an informed, educated opinion so that it doesn't lead to a detrimental effect upon you. So check that movie out. I think it's really important. I'm less here to break it down and and more so to kind of share some of the things that I gleaned from it and and hopefully will help it'll help you as well. Um, sort of curtail maybe some of the more negative tendencies that come with social media addiction. And part and parcel with that is, you know, I've answered a bunch of questions about my thoughts on how COVID is going to affect theaters. And my thought process is really that in many ways, the theaters are going to become something like record stores. There's going to be vertically owned theaters that are there for the giant, giant blockbusters and then you're going to you're going to see a rise a spattering of single or double screened indie box theaters that are going to find a niche releasing a certain kind of film at least that's my hope because the last few days I've been watching some really amazing films I mean I mean these are movies I've seen like a bunch of times in a row but every time I see them I'm so inspired not only by their content but the the manner in which they were filmed I'll give you a great example um, the movie Frida. I kind of alluded to that earlier. 
every just about every framing of the you know in we talk about and I mentioned earlier the website or the YouTube channel every frame of painting that phrase that 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 show derived its name from but in the movie Frida they really do frame nearly every shot to feel not just like a beautiful frame of celluloid but actually a painting itself i mean in some instances it's very literal like an actor will stand in position um be it sama hayek or alfred molina and they'll it'll paint over right it'll sort of seamlessly blend from a painting to a, a live action movie and back and forth there's a certain surrealist aspect to the, the way the film was edited and shot and the animations and other sort of elements that got added to that but part of that is also that it's um it's not a conventional story it the subject matter is is unique and and the way that it's told is unique there's a there's a it's a celebration of someone's life but there's also an underlying story of of love and devotion and what that means what it means to be someone's comrade um it's it is a very it's just a movie that feels by today's standards would have been too much of a risk right and it was probably made at a budget that was mid-tier uh and it allowed it to have that artistic freedom to do things kind of uniquely and and shoot in a very interesting style and and really able to express the feeling of Frida Kahlo's work while telling her story at the same time it's not just an autobiography and um it, it's always one of the movies i find the most inspiring and jumping from that to another alfred molina film which is chocolat which uh was is on my all-time favorite list of movies um it also stars johnny depp although i would say he's more of sort of a side character even though they put him all over the all over the cover this is really a story about Julia Binoche and Alfred Molina and their their combatantness and their struggle against one another. And it's it's really I was just joking with Miss Ophelia about this. Imagine these days someone going into a pitch meeting and presenting Chocolat, a story of of, of a new way of thinking, a free way of thinking uh, pressed upon or invading a very stuck in its ways small town mentality through the use of chocolate like I think you'd be laughed out of the building right again a mid-budget film that had the ability to express something in a really unique and whimsical way right I mean at its core it's a movie about the struggles of of um Oh, I conformist life versus freedom, you know, being a free spirit, being um, someone who walks in a, uh, under a different beat, you know, uh, conformity versus nonconformity. But it did so in a way that was charming and silly and um, a little absurd, really, when you think about, you know, a, a town getting some chocolate treats transforms everyone's life. But it's still feels genuine in its storytelling it doesn't it's not being intentionally cheeky even if it has those moments and because of that because of the sincerity of it without taking itself too seriously it does a really good job of executing its intent in a manner that is fresh and 
um, you know, the use of the the uh, wind instruments, so the Mayan influenced instruments to again convey both European sensibility, but also sort of an indigenous sound and keeping things literally light as air, even as you're kind of telling this sort of story of just generational battle, you know, really, really awesome. But again, mid-tier movie, um, Dazed and Confused, which I have on right now in the background, you know, a movie that was shot in Austin, Texas, where I lived for many years. And, you know, there's coming of age stories are, are nothing new, but you know, like for me, like, uh, when it came to my age, something more akin to um, Can't Hardly Wait, for example, was more of a coming-of-age film for me, or maybe, honestly, even Scream to a lesser degree. Um, nowadays, people might get something to the effect of, like, 13 Reasons Why as something reflective of their coming-of-age story uh, or, you know, the, the book Perks of Being a Wallflower. But with Dazed and Confused, I felt like there is a level... Of filmmaking, it feels within the technique of, of framing and the aspect ratio, and even the the color palette. It feels small. You feel the borders of the small town in which these characters live in. In very many, in in a lot of ways, in fact, it's really telling the same kind of story as Chocolat is. It's a story ultimately about freedom versus conformity, right? Well, Randall Pink Floyd signed the pledge to uh, uphold morality, or will he, or will he um, risk being in, on the football team and go watch Aerosmith with his buddies and smoke pot and and have a good time? And so it's the same kind of story, but they're the same stories being told in such drastically different manners, and yet they both come across. And I think again. When you have films that are at that lower budget level, you have the freedom to make it feel small. You you see, if your budget was $100 million or more, you, it would be financial suicide to make it feel small, even if creative, that's what's best for the project. So coming through this, this COVID era where we're trying to anticipate what the, you know, what this landscape of film is going to look like, when theaters are fully and safely able to reopen. And I, I think that you're going to have to force um, smaller theaters are going to have to find a niche in smaller movies and attracting a loyal fan base, much like the, the vinyl industry has been able to do and, and keep itself alive. And um, it may not be quite as lucrative in some capacity, but I think the volume should be higher. And that's, that's what I was sort of initially getting at when coming off talking about the social dilemma, which is that everything is moving to this digital landscape. And part of the downfall of, of being at home is um, there's so many distractions. Not, not, that I, not that I think people do a great job about, you know, ignoring those distractions when they're in a public theater. That's, I think, largely what's, what's sort of le- led to its downfall in terms of the overall experience but when you're at home there's there's really no etiquette or protocol that one feels the need to follow and so it it's going to lessen your experience if you're constantly and i'm the most guilty of it right but as i watch some of these like amazing films 
understanding and knowing that this came from a time in filmmaking that will maybe never get back or certainly not in the same way. So the last era that was still shooting on film, actual celluloid and not digitally, and that was able to live in a world of these lower indie, but not micro budget sort of indie films, another um, almost famous, same thing, you know, it just feels like there was an era of filmmaking, especially in indie filmmaking that, that Miramax, sort of level India, which I guess you get a little bit of with like A24. For example, they, they maybe Blumhouse in the world of horror. We've talked about how that art house film, that slaughter art is very popular these days. Um, but but it, it's kind of confined to just horror. And I think that what we, we want to look for in once, once it we once the industry sort of settles after the COVIDness of it all, and we figure out where we're really going to land at, I think it's really important for us to look for mid to low mid-level indies that are willing to take on subject matters in an interesting way and have the financial freedom to do so. So um, that's sort of my general takeaway of, of a couple of things I've been watching lately. I, I think it's important to just express and share that budget doesn't have to limit your expression and and you know obviously these aren't no budget films but the proof is in the pudding that relatively lower budget film you know in contrast to what you expect a film to cost today we're able to achieve really really strong storytelling with much less technology and access so that leads me to the next part of this podcast that i want to get into a little bit and that is some things that I've learned as an indie filmmaker, I think, um, you know, we've certainly shared some things I've talked about, uh, film school and some etiquette, but one of the, the there's just a, a few sort of takeaways that I've learned working in indie that I want to share with everyone. And maybe it will inspire you, or if you're already in film, maybe it will, um, remind you or reinvigorate you on some of the reasons why we do this. One of the things that is um, very true about film, but especially indie film, is that it really does feel like summer camp. You know, you're on a show for, you know, could be as low as eight weeks or less, seven weeks. And, um, you know, you might be on it for four or five months, right? Depending on your position and how long it's filming. And I've done a film in 11 days, you know, so, um, but in that time you spend 12 hours or more with the same people and you get to know them. You certainly go through hardships with them. Um, you experience deliberate, uh, you know, deliriousness, uh, with them. And some of my closest friends have been people whom I've met just, just because of how hard film is, um, we had director Justin Warren on the show some months back, and he and I met on a set where, actually the same set I met uh, Jude on, where it was such a hard shoot. It, it was, in fact, that 11-day movie that we I did back when I was just a, a coordinator and a PA. But the film was so hard, it was so strenuous, and it was so exhausting that friendships and camaraderie are born of that. And just like with film, or summer camp rather, when 
when summer ends, it's kind of heartbreaking. You know, there are um, there are relationships that form that, you know, it certainly doesn't mean you can't see them again. But just like with summer camp, life happens and you get busy and it's harder to, you know, you're not going to just you don't make the effort for everyone that you hung out with. And if, you know, if you're lucky in your career, you'll be moving on to that next summer camp, that next film set. And sometimes you get lucky enough to work with the same people over and over again. And that's awesome. But it really does become something of a family. And uh, much like, you know, if you've got the bug to get in a van and hit the road with your punk rock band, it's almost that same kind of mentality on film. You know, it's it's sort of a, almost a carny life in some aspects, but it's really rewarding if it's in your nature. Um, and so... If that some, sounds like something that is interesting to you, you know, if you're the kind of person who maybe wasn't cut out for the nine to five, the the wear your suit and tie at the bank, you know, um, it might be something worth exploring. And uh, that takes me to my next two points. Number one, when I mentioned that relationships form, they were forming all capacities and that includes romantic. So here's a little bit of advice that I'm going to present from myself to you as someone who has lived through this. I know people treat film sets like like a mini what are those fantasy islands or a big brother, you know whatever the not big brother. What's the one they give the, the bachelor, right? They give the roses out to everyone. It's like 6 weeks of of love fest before you move on. Um, I don't recommend it because everyone finds out your business and you're working with that person every day. And at the end of the day, as much as it can be a family environment, it is still, it's still a, a business. That That's the next point. It's a business. It's a job. And it is uh, um, something that requires a lot of work and dedication. It's a, it's a, better than saying it's a job. It's a craft and it's important to learn your craft and it's important to respect your craft. So I'm not saying onset romances can't work. Not saying that at all. I'm simply saying it's probably best if you keep it work and and you don't necessarily bring drama that you may otherwise be able to avoid to set for a fling. It's an, it's a resp- it's a it's a uh, professional environment and you should carry yourself that. I mean uh, uh, I think it goes without saying that you should carry yourself as a professional in regards to your conduct, right? In terms of what's appropriate to be said, done, or or enacted on set. But but beyond that, just generally, don't go there because at the end, it's not really worth it. And you're gonna you're gonna short yourself the experience of the craft if you're distracted. Um, but as much as it's art and as much as it's craft, it's it's a business. And you know Warner Brothers' decision to ask Johnny Depp to resign is a business decision. It's not one that I would make. It's not one that I feel is um, represents support for victims of domestic violence. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's it, you know, they're, they're worried about their ticket sales because that is what this business is. It is a business. It's showbiz, not show friends. And unfortunately, we'll see if this pays off. Sometimes it does. You know, they they could replace him and they could do gangbusters or 
they could replace him and it could totally be a flop and then whether or not it was you know because of the recasting or just because that franchise has mostly felt flaccid to begin with um well i guess we'll find out we'll find out if it was the right call i mean i don't think i don't think morally it's the right call i don't think i don't see how anyone could think that but from a business standpoint we'll we'll see if it pans out for them the the pensions and the growth of Mr. Depp's social media base and the people who are out there fighting uh, in favor for him and trying to share readily available information because there's so much there's so much misinformation being shared. Say otherwise, it might might blow might super blow up in their face, but um, we will find that out. That is that is unfortunately part of it, which is why there's something charming about working in indies and. Plenty of people complain, and there's there's definitely not the luxuries that you get on larger films when you work on indies. But you do have a certain level of freedom, and I think that if you you can again speaking from personal experience, you can make a living in the indies. Maybe not the the down down indies. You know, a lot of the work that I do these days is um, for digital series, the Netflix, Hulu's, whatever the pluses pluses pluses. All that content, I've been able to carve out a pretty nice career doing that stuff. But in a lot of ways, it still has that indie feel. It certainly oftentimes has that indie budget. And so um, if you're lucky enough to work in that realm, try to focus on how enjoyable it is because it becomes more and more of a business and less and less of a craft the higher up the food chain you go. That's just the nature of the world right now. Does it have to be the nature of the world? I say no. But it is certainly the nature right now. And you should go into it eyes wide open. Understand that. Just like with the social dilemma. It's not to say that it's necessarily bad. Right? People have to be able to support themselves. But if you go into it with eyes wide open, you can still learn to enjoy it in spite of how much more um, business-like it may get, how much more of a of a commodity it may feel like you're a part of and less of an artistic endeavor. But again, if you understand what that is, you can find the parts of it that still excite you, that still make you feel like you're part of something really unique, something that is not something that everyone can do. So with that being said, uh, I am, again, publicly the Grindhouse Podcast and myself stand in solidarity with Mr. Johnny Depp. He's not only an amazing talent, but he, by all accounts, by all rational accounts, outside of Amber Heard, the abusive Amber Heard and her, her cronies, um, he seems to be a pretty good dude, by all accounts, who, unfortunately, like many people in this country may be struggling with some addiction issues, but that doesn't, um, just because someone happens to be famous doesn't make their addiction any less sad and something that isn't worthy of justice at the very minimum. Again, it's either justice for all or justice for none. So with that being said, I'm going to go to an audience question, which is a very appropriate. It's from our friend of the show, Mr. Sam V. Blair, and he asked me what my favorite Johnny Depp film is. And that's a really tough one because it really kind of depends on what what mood I'm in, I guess. Because he's had, especially in the first half of his career, so much di- like diversity in the different roles. I mean, starting from a, a slasher 
classic like Nightmare Before Nightmare on Elm Street or um, something strange like Jim Jamarsh's Dead Man or um, the quirky like um, like um, Tim Burton's Ed Wood or iconic like Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, it's really tough to try to figure out my favorite and it might seem like cheating because I could name Chocolat since it's one of my favorite films, but I wouldn't call it a Johnny Depp film. So I think that my answer then has to be The Ninth Gate, which we've talked about on this show. Um, it was an amazingly, it, it was amazingly, it was a throwback to a, a different kind of filmmaking. And um, again, Roman Polanski doesn't have to be a good dude to, to make good art. And unfortunately, too often, the most artistic people, uh, the people who tend to ra- you know, rise to fame, sometimes aren't very good people or, or maybe outright terrible people. Um, but that's not reserved for just the talented people, as we've talked about. Amber Heard is obviously a hack, and she's uh, a terrible person. So um, as far as my famous, my favorite Johnny Depp film, I'm going to say that is going to be The Ninth Gate. I thought his performance was really subdued. Um, as much as I like, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow, that over-the-top sort of um, very cartoony acting is appropriate within certain confines. But there is something he has that he has had and still has the ability to do a really subtle performance that just hits the spot. It's not too much. It's not too less. It maybe isn't going to garner the attention that, say, um, even like Finding Neverland got, right? Or certainly Captain Jack Sparrow. But it, it's just nuanced enough that it is just the right level of ingredient to just make the soup chef's kiss. So The Ninth Gate, uh, Sam, would be my favorite Johnny Depp film. Uh, and only because uh, I don't count Chocolat as a Johnny Depp film, even though he's on it, because he's really, he's really a glorified cameo maybe definitely supporting cast it's definitely not his movie um even though he adds tremendously to it so that's my choice uh again i want to thank you guys remember this is gonna be this week's gonna be for the finals of our witch tournament it is the witch versus the craft and we will see which of those two witch movies reign supreme amongst them all and we can end our fall holiday season on a declaring a winner and then we'll change gears to uh some uh, more whimsical snow winter themed movies to uh maybe wrap up the end of our show and maybe do some um maybe we'll do a show on on what we're grateful for within film so stick with us uh i'm i'm open and i'm excited to hear what you guys' ideas are about what we should do with some of these final shows remember episode 100 will be our final show of the grindhouse podcast at least for the time being could always bring it back. I never know. But at the moment, we're going to bring it to a close at episode 100. So get your questions in now. And we'll spend these next you know few weeks together um, answering as many of them as we can. And let me know what you think I should do the show about. And remember to support all victims of domestic violence, including men and including Mr. Johnny Depp. Again, it's justice for all or justice for none. And for myself... And for the podcast, the Grindhouse podcast, I want to thank you guys for listening, and I want to wish you guys an adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the Never Kill a Seabird Network. 
Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify. Spotify.